This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com go industry. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. This is the 254th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an entrepreneur who believes in good business, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining, takeout experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to do good. Let's aspire to be helpful and an asset to others and strive to make the world a better place. Let's think about what we can do to make a difference and then take action. Let's seek to solve problems and find solutions and contribute to society the best, to the best of our ability. Because deep down, we all know what's good and right. So let's focus on those things and never underestimate the power of goodness. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really happy to have my guest on the show with me. It is John Weissman. He's the founder of Curious Elixirs a non-alcoholic craft cocktails company that was designed to make the social aspects of drinking more inclusive for non-drinkers. John previously worked for Thrillist as its third employee and head of marketing and at Skillshare, a global learning community. He founded Good Business, a marketing agency with a new way of doing things, helping companies that aim to do well and do good in the world, primarily in the food and wellness industries. He has also built bars and restaurants in New York City and has been an advisor on the Marketing Council for the Food Bank for New York City. So hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you, even though, you know, we're we're distanced, but um, I'm thankful for technology that we can do the show that, you know, through our computers. (laughs) So how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, you know, I'm up here in the Hudson Valley where Curious Elixirs is based and, you know, splitting time between here and the city and just trying to soak up as much nature as possible while keeping, keeping the wheels on this business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's nice that you have nature up by you and um, kind of like the best of both worlds being close to the, to the city. So... Uh, I always very lucky. Yeah, and I always love to start out with my guests and find out a little more about your background and and how you got into what what you're doing today. So where did where did your career begin, and then kind of what led you to Thrillist? Sure. Um, well, when I first moved to New York City, I was working in entertainment. So before Thrillist, I was working for. Whoopi Goldberg on her NBC show and worked for Focus Features, um, kind of entertainment. But I always had this like deep love of food and drink. And that's what led me to Thrillist. It was while I was working at, at Focus Features that I came across Thrillist. And back then it was a you know little newsletter with 10,000 readers. And I literally just wrote into the founder, um, to, to Ben Lear and said, I love what you're doing. I want to help you grow this into something big. Um, Four months later, I was working there. Um, <laughs> um, so it really goes to the power of if you have, if you feel drawn to something, just reach out to people. You'd be amazed who you can get to, um, and just asking for five minutes of their time and, and a specific way of trying to help them reach their mission. Yeah, no, that's a good good tip for sure. What did you study, or when you were in school, kind of what was the direction you were going? thinking you wanted to go with your career. I'm sorry, could you say that one more time? 
Um, just with with when you were when you were growing up or before, before I don't know what led you to New York. Um, uh, and did, did, where did well where did you grow up? And also, what were you thinking career wise when you were when you were younger and and in school? Sure. Well, I think the thing that you know I worked in bars and restaurants in college, you know, just to help pay your way through and. That was one of the places where I learned just the power of hospitality. Um, but my love of food kind of goes even deeper than that. You know, when through my, my dad's church, um, we would go and feed the homeless in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when you saw the power that a meal can have for a homeless family, it just, you know, that stuck with me from age nine on. Um, and I think that's, you know, just trying to uncover my own roots and attraction to why hospitality. And I think that that has a lot to do with it, you know. Um, but also just working in the bar industry and the restaurant industry, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's social. It breaks you out of your shell. You have to interact with so many different types of people. Um, it really opens your eyes to, you know, how the world works with many different types of people coming at you. And in college... You know, I think that it was a great for, way for me to break out of my shell. And I'm also just obsessed with flavor. You know, it, coming across interesting flavors um, is one of my favorite things. Um, and that's one reason why I really love working on Curious, um, is getting to explore those different flavors from all over the world. Yeah, so how did you come up with this idea for Curious Elixirs? And 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 also just you you obviously have this entrepreneurial spirit in you because you've you've you know, you've you've you started your own business and you've you've launched other other companies and worked with other businesses. But this was like a a new, a really new um, venture to, to start a beverage company. Yeah. Well it, it really came you know, the inspiration for Curious was really came from drinking too much. Um, <laughs> and I had one of those crazy nights, um, you know, where I had 20 drinks in a night, really chasing the dragon. And what scared me was the next day I woke up and I was fine. No one should be fine after 20 cocktails. Um, and the fact that my body had acclimated to that meant that I was, I was really scared. <laughs> and... I needed to find something else um, that could still have, you know, a high level of enjoyment. Um, and so I just started tinkering in my kitchen and I was like, you know, can I make a non-alcoholic Negroni? Is that possible? Because um, I couldn't find anything out there in the world that was like interesting and bitter and herbaceous and, and nothing that had like a beginning, middle and end to the flavor profile. So that's really like what started me on that journey. Um, at the same time, one of my best friends in the world got sober. You know, this is six years ago, so this is a while ago. And whenever we would go out, we would just find there was nothing interesting to kind of socially drink. Um, so that personal need, you know, as I learned more about the non-alcoholic space, I just saw there, there wasn't anything there. Um, so it really came out of that need. And now I'm just shocked, you know, at, at how many people there are that are hiding in plain sight. I mean, 75 million adult Americans don't drink alcohol at all. That's a huge number. Um, and then there's another 90 million adult Americans who drink two or fewer alcoholic drinks a week. That's a staggering number of people that are hiding in plain sight, not being served properly. You know, they, like, we all want something interesting to drink. Um, and if you can't have that celebratory glass of champagne, what are you going to drink when you have a special occasion? Or what are you going to drink when you come home from a long day of work and you want something to unwind with? So that's really how Curious was born. Um, and, you know, it's really grown in the past three years to, uh, to address the needs of that community. Oh, it's amazing what, what you've accomplished. And, and yes, uh, you know a bit of my story, and I can certainly relate. I mean, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I, I stopped drinking, uh, back in 2002. So, um, it's, uh, and I know as someone who in the industry and who, and someone who, who dines out and goes out a lot, I mean, my beverage of choice over the years has always been water or club soda. Um, I didn't, you know, uh, I, I, what I can relate to what you're saying with, especially looking back over the past, you know, 
from from years ago that really there wasn't much on on menus that excited me to want to to drink anything beyond uh, a club soda. Um, So the fact that you kind of tapped into this market and I mean, yeah, you're tinkering with a Negroni. I mean, that's like, that's pretty cool. I mean, how I don't even so so when you started, were you I mean, or and even moving forward with your different um, numbered uh, selections, which we can talk more about. Were you the one um, actually creating the recipes, or did you were you um, did you get help from anyone else, or was really like these are your um, inventions? I guess I've definitely gotten a lot of help. You know, this is not a one person show. Um, you know, I, I went to some of the most you know respected people I knew in the industry um, and sought their advice. Um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, Kevin Denton, um, you know, who's been uh, at Pernod Ricard for a long time, Um, Katie Bell from Blue Hill, and and basically just asked their advice in terms of like what they thought, because I wanted this to be something that was, you know, I wanted Curious Elixirs to be the world's best non-alcoholic drinks. Um, And I wanted them to be adult. And, you know, Katie Bell shared something with me and she, what she said was, just make sure it's not a soda, (laughs) you know, like... (laughs) And that really stuck with me. You know, we were at, uh, you know, Four Horsemen Wine Bar in Williamsburg. And she said that to me. And I was like, that is so true, you know. And so we don't use any added sugar or any any refined, you know, sugar because these are not supposed to be sweet drinks. There's plenty of sweet drinks out there, Um, you know. And and what I took away from from Kevin Denton and also from Ivy Mix at Leyenda, um, who, you know, I picked all of their brains and just tried to do as much research as I can. Um, you know, the trend in drinks is not to be overly sweet and it's to be a little bit more herbaceous forward. Um, and that's really what curious elixirs are. Um, then finally, you know, one thing I I learned in my time of, of, you know, heading up marketing for daily harvest, um, through, through good business, my marketing agency was this really interesting class of plants called adaptogens. You know, they really help you unwind and de-stress naturally, um, and that's something that really helped inform me. Um, and so working with people from Daily Harvest to understand what those plants are and, and how they might fit into Curious Elixirs has been really formative. Um, in addition to people that are in the, in the rest, restaurant and hospitality space that were very generous with their time. So yeah, it's, it's these, the long answer is <laughs> some of them are, you know, my inventions like Curious Number 4, um, like I, I, I did that whole recipe myself, but the first three, I've had a ton of help, you know, just trying to source ingredients from the right places and, and also just taking inspiration from classics, you know, because there are certain flavor profiles that people are going to come back to time and time again, but we always want to make them something new and something interesting. Like, I'm not trying to make an exact Negroni. I want to make something that's Negroni-ish, but also different. You know, just like when you go to a great cocktail bar and you have something that is a spin on something that you've had before. Like, that's the exciting part of food for me, food and drink, is where you have something that's both familiar and new. Mind-blowing, you know? Like, that's that's what we're trying to go for. Yeah, and I, I mean, as I've tried now, I've had numbers one, two, and three, and they're all they're all so different um, and delicious. I mean, I don't... I don't even know if I have a favorite, but like two, two with, uh, you know, kind of like a margarita type of, a, I don't know. Um, sure. It, it, it's as again, as someone who doesn't, doesn't drink alcohol and just to have options that are, um, interesting and so flavorful and so different and you're, it, it's exciting and your packaging also is very cool. I mean, you're, I obviously, you know, your, your background or your, your marketing skills and your, your, you, you put together a really, um, uh, visually, um, interesting packaging as well. And as having a bottle, I mean, how did that, how did that come about? Like the, your look? The, the look, I wanted something that was going to be in a brown bottle that for people who don't want to shout from the rooftops that they're sober they can just continue hiding in plain sight because there's a lot of stigma around not drinking in many parts of this country and, and throughout the world. So I wanted something that would would blend in, um, 
but also really photograph well. So that's why I decided, you know, I want to have a brown bottle um, and I wanted to have a very simple gold logo. Um, that was really a big part of it. Um, and then I worked with a, with a great graphic designer to create a custom font that would feel both classic and modern. I wanted it to feel like it wasn't associated with any particular time, you know, because if you, if you try and associate, you know, if you look at a lot of the kind of millennial branding of the past few years, think about that five, 10 years from now, it's going to feel very much of this time or like five years ago. And I want it to feel like it can exist in any decade. So that's really where the inspiration came from. It came from keep paring things down, keeping it simple and making it both modern and classic. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And uh, I think it's smart. And so what's what's happening? Well, well I want to get into what's happening now, but also just with what's happening with as far as introducing new uh products are what's your what's your timetable for that and are you and you know is are you working on on new numbers um as we speak <laughs> yes yes i am i'm actually working on curious number five today in my little my little home lab um kitchen um and can you, you know, tell I, us what that is or is it a secret it's it's secret um okay. it's secret but i will i will say it's it's going more in the classic stirred direction rather than you know one through four is almost like they've gotten progressively lighter and more spritzy um and then now we're going to go back to something that is a little bit heavier a little bit more of a slow sipper because we because numbers two three and four are all great in the spring summer and and uh and fall um and i want something that's going to be really good for those kind of those nights by the fire in late autumn and through winter. So that's really what I'm working on. So Curious Five won't come out until much later in the year. Uh, we'll be on the lookout. Are you, do you, I know you, you, um, through your website, people can purchase the different mm -hmm. elixirs, but are you, what's your relationship with bars and restaurants? Is that a part? Are you, um, actively trying to get your products in different locations and how is that process? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I mean, working with our partners in, in the industry is critically important um, because the whole reason why we exist is to transform how we drink socially. And the number one place to do that is where food professionals are. You know, they're the ones like any place that cares about ingredients and cares about serving their customers well needs to have a non-alcoholic section of their menu. And I hope that we're on it. But even if we're not and they're creating their own, that's fantastic. That solves a problem and it helps add to the bottom line. I can't stress enough how important that is. And it's a lot of incremental revenue that is being left on the table as well. I mean, if you look at a place where we're on the menu like Coat in Manhattan, you know, they're selling through many cases of Curious a month, um, and they have a dedicated section in their menu um, for non-alcoholics, some that they make themselves and, and some that they sell from us. Um, so, yeah, definitely getting into restaurants and bars is a huge part of why we exist. Um, we've been served in some of the best restaurants in, in the country, and we want to continue doing that. Um, so it's really easy to become, you know, a wholesaler for us. All, all they have to do is reach out on our website or on Instagram and we'll get people set up and it gets sent straight to their, straight to their restaurant. So that's, that's a great place to, uh, yeah. to find us. How competitive now is the non-alcoholic or the, the low ABV alcoholic alcohol um, drinks out there? Have you seen, has there been a shift in the past five years, more, more and more companies Absolutely. And I, it's so great to see. I mean, there's starting to become better options. Um, and I'm so glad to see that, you know, we, we weren't the only ones that kicked this off. I mean, there's been a lot of individuals who have um, and a lot of brands that are, are starting to, to make some moves here. And that just really helps our mission. You know, any, any, any person, any individual, any group, any restaurant, any brand that comes in and helps make better non-alcoholic options for people is fantastic. You know, it's definitely accelerating. You know, 
the numbers that I was speaking to, the 75 million adults who don't drink and, and 90 million adult Americans who just drink a little, that, those are numbers from 2015. Those numbers are accelerating. So as people continue to focus on their health and wellness, you know, it's just really great to see that people are really deeply caring about what they put in their bodies. And more importantly, how do those things affect you as you do? You know, it's the same reason why you're seeing like such acceleration in, in vegan um, cuisine and in gluten-free options. Um, you know, people are starting to really dial it in into what makes their bodies feel good and makes them feel like their best selves. And, and we applaud anyone who starts that. That's part of the reason why we're called curious. You know, if you're curious about what life without alcohol could be, then we're for you. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And it's, you know, it's so true. It doesn't, um, I don't know, not, it doesn't mean like your drinks without alcohol doesn't mean they're only for people who don't drink alcohol. Like there's, there's plenty of people out there who might just want a, a night off or, or just whatever their mood that they're in, that they just don't, they don't want or need to be drinking alcoholic drink. And um, I loved that uh, we, we partnered with the host summit plus social I did earlier this yeah. year and to have you there. I mean, it meant so much to me and it was so exciting to be able to, to show, you know, so people could try your different products and have, have something that's delicious and wonderful to drink. And, and it's, you know, it doesn't have to be an alcoholic beverage and it, it's um, I really you know, really love that, that we, we collaborated on that. I know that was so great. And it was such a great event too, just to see all these people coming together who just deeply care about service. You mm -hmm. know, it, it's just, it, it, it feels really good to be in that room with people who care that much about how to treat people and how to make a sustainable business that has a positive impact on their communities and, and hopefully onto, you know, the individuals within that community too. So, you know, that we, we were so glad just to play a, even a small part there. Yeah, no, thank you. It was really wonderful. And um, yeah, it seems so long ago now from everything that's, I know. that's happened in the past few months. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, with, with the pandemic and COVID-19, I mean, it's impacted our industry so much. Uh, what how has it impacted you and what you're doing and even your relationships with the bars and restaurants that you're, you know, sure. in and talking to? Yeah. I mean, it, it has definitely had an impact. I mean, in terms of, you know, sales, it's increased our sales significantly um, because people wow. are, people are stocking up on things, you know? Um, and beyond that, people are looking for ways to unwind, you know? And, so at the same time you're seeing alcohol sales spike, you're also seeing non-alcohol sales spike, um, particularly because we're using you know herbs like Damiana and roots like rhodiola to help you unwind. Um, we're seeing more and more people wanting to get things delivered to their house. And that's outside of restaurants and getting it delivered to your house when you order online, that's, those are the only two ways you can get curious. So we're definitely seeing sales increase. Um, at the same time, we're seeing a lot of our restaurant partners decimated by the virus. Um, you know, we're doing what we can to help. The, the only thing that we've done so far um, is we're gifting, you know, 100 cases um, a week to furloughed and um, laid off hospitality workers all over the country. Um, that was just the first thing that I could come up with um, in order well, to help wonderful. support people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just to help people, you know, unwind, um, because it doesn't feel like the time to be selling people more things, you know, especially restaurants that are, that are struggling and trying to figure out delivery or takeout and, and things of that nature. Um, it feels to me like the, the way to support them is to let them know that we're here, we're ready to support however we can and, and to hopefully get the, get curious in front of a few of their sober staff or their, you know, sober curious staff as well. So they can try us and, and just feel supported. Um, but overall, in terms of the business, you know, operationally, it just means that we're having to do things more in advance. Um, you know, like this is getting pretty nitty gritty, but you know, like those bottles that you were referring to, those are screen printed, you know, they, so that they have that nice gold veneer. Um, 
screen printing is not available for us right now, so our next run of bottles will have clear labels on them instead of that beautiful gold ink. And that's just because screen printing, like the next screen printing slot we can get is in late July. Wow. And, and that's because of the virus. Like we don't, like the bottles, no problem. The ingredients we already have, but like stuff like that means that we just have to adapt. And it's very much the adapt or perish, you know, paradigm. So, um, but that just means doing things more in advance and trying to support our restaurant partners the best we can. Um, that's really the main, main ways that, um, it has impacted us. Yeah. Who knew that would be the thing (laughs) Uh or that would be the most difficult, but, um, yeah, you have to, you have to adapt. Uh, let me ask you my question for my last guest on episode 253. I had on James Kent. He's the executive chef of Crown Shy, the owner and partner of J2K Creative. So he wants to know, as an advisor for the food bank for New York City, how do we move forward? What's the dynamic for feeding people? How do we bring to life all of the struggles that have been so focused on the past few months with COVID and keep that going? And how do we raise money and feed people? Mm. Big question. Yeah, I think, you know, the main way to feed people, I think, is to focus locally. You know, I think that there are great national organizations which will continue to do their work like Share Our Strength. Um, the Food Bank for New York City is one that's particularly close to my, close to my heart when I was on the marketing council, um, specifically because of the memory I was sharing with you about, you know, with my dad and, and feeding the homeless in Tulsa. And I think that's where it needs to start. It needs to start in your neighborhood. You know, the same way that you're seeing restaurants like Olmstead open up, you know, kind of their own food bank, you know, we need a thousand solutions like that. So if you can find something that you can do personally um, or a cause that is local to you, that is the way forward. We need a thousand people to do that um, locally so that we can make an impact um, the same way that the Food Bank for New York City does you know, for the five boroughs. Um, but we need more people coming up with more solutions and then the right ones will rise to the top. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a good answer. What do you think? What do you think about the future of with events and your yeah. involvement with them? Because I, I, you know, we, as I noted, you know, you were involved with my host event, and that's a, you know a part of your marketing or your visibility. Um, what are you thinking for the, you know, as of now for what the future is going to look like? Mm. Great question. I wish I knew the answer to that. I think everybody, I think everybody does. Yeah, I'm kind of taking, you know, right now I'm just kind of taking life in two to four week increments and not making long-term plans um, until we know more, you know? And I think that, you know, precaution is the best medicine. Um, and I would love to be going dancing right now. I love it more than almost anything in the world. But at the same time, um, we have to protect our most vulnerable. And so it's, it's kind of a wait and see um, for the summertime. I think that by the time we hit the fall, my hope is that we will have some more, you know, medium sized events that will be able to be had. Um, but I don't know that for sure. And I don't think anybody can really say, you know, what a lot of the insurance people are saying around events is Q3 of 2021. But like, those are insurance people. I don't know if they're right or wrong. I think they're, wow. ju- they're just trying to, they're just trying to play it safe. Um, you know, to my mind, I think the focus is let's make small, impactful events happen that are for a limited amount of people and not try and do too much too soon. I mean, doing an event for 20 or 30 people that's socially distant can still be impactful and worth doing, you know? Um, Is it gonna be the 200 person thing that we want it to be? No, it's gonna be something else. Um, But do the best with what you can, with what you have. Yeah, no, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. And we will, we will see. And I know my question was a very hard one to answer, but you did. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, we don't know, you know, we just do the best we can. That's all. Yeah, no, that's what we have to do. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's take a little break and um, then we're going to come back and we'll play my speed round game and we'll talk some industry news. We'll have my solo dining takeout experience and the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers, no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash industry. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is John Weissman. He is the founder of Curious Elixirs, non-alcoholic craft drinks. And I love his hashtag that he uses, shaken, not slurred. It's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So, so, um, John, uh, it's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> I think I think you I think you're ready. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out. Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne. Um cocktails, whether alcoholic or not. Aha. Tasting menu or a la carte. Oh man, that's tough. Um, I'm gonna have to go with a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Ooh, chef's table. Okay, with an with an ooh to it. <laughs> How about it's tipping? T- that's a tough oh, one. Go ahead. That's a tough one. That's a tough one though, because it really so many of these depend on the place, you know. Like it really depends on the place. Because communal table, you meet people you never talk to in your life, which is great. Um, but chef's table, you get to really see what's going on and all of the craft. So sorry, I'm interrupting your speed round, but no, that's okay. Some Sometimes I like I like to get the the behind behind the answer story. So, <laughs> okay. Well, um, how about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Ooh, tipping. Launching a beverage company or a bar restaurant? Because I know you've done that too. Mm, both fun, but launching a beverage company. Okay. You kind of alluded to this before. There's... As far as names, mocktail, zero proof, or non-alcoholic cocktail, or something else that I'm not naming here. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to say booze-free craft cocktail. That's a little bit long, so just booze-free cocktail is good. Yeah, you know, it's mocktail I know is not, I don't think most people like it as a term, but I think it's been used often because you you immediately know what it is or just it was used first as far as referring to mm-hmm. non-alcoholic drinks. But, um, yeah, I see more and more uh, interesting names on menus for things like with the zero proof when people started using that. So Yeah, and I like that too. Like I like that a lot, like zero proof for the section on your menu. I think that's great. You know, like it, it, yeah. it, it says what it is and it sounds cooler than soft cocktail. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I've seen that one too. Okay, I have two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Mm, dessert. I know that'll yeah. be controversial, but it'll be definitely controversial with my wife, but dessert. All right. Well, we won't tell her unless she's listening now. <laughs> <laughs> and Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. There you go. That's the game. So, um, yeah, it's always always interesting to hear people's takes and uh, um, good to learn more about you. Okay, so for industry news, you know, not not the I, a topic I would I, I'm so excited to talk about because it's it's a bit heavy. Um, so uh, in the New York Times, the article I picked out, Bon Appetit editor Adam Rappaport resigns by and it's by Kim Severson. The move comes after hours after a photo of him resurfaced on social media, drawing condemnations from the staff for a stereotypical depiction of Puerto Ricans. And so this story unfolded on Monday this week with this this photo. Um, it kind of it you know it, it was the beginning of this story, but it, it was it was much more than the, the photo that went up. A lot of Bon Appetit's uh, employees uh, voiced their what was happening on social media that uh, people of color were not being properly compensated that who appeared in videos and just the treatment of people of color at Bon Appetit that um, you know it, it all unfolded in a whole day that uh, uh, Adam Rappaport resigned and then there's since been more that has come out there was a article today in Business Insider uh, on that interviewed uh, uh, 14 current and former contrib con contributors and employees at Bon Appetit um, that identified people of color, further stating um, what was going on, you know, at the at the company. And it's um, I've been having a hard time like digesting all this information, and I know I know a lot of the people. So, and it's, it's, it's sad and it's heartbreaking to see that like, this is what they've, their experience has been like. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you, you got to look at this or if you've been following this on, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, I did get a look at it. Um, you know, my team members brought it up. Um, you know, our social media person brought it up. Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate, but this is you know, what needs to happen in order for real progress to be made, you know? Um, and unfortunately, some people need to be outed for bad behavior, especially when it comes to pay inequality. I mean, that is just not, that's, that's terrible. It should yeah. never be happening, not for women, not for people of color. If somebody's doing the same job, they should be getting the same money, full stop. That's it. You know what I mean? Oh, I agree. I agree. I completely agree equal equal for everyone and it shouldn't i mean this shouldn't be uh, like being just discovered now or something it shouldn't have ever happened and i think we need to right. we need to fix that um and i think i don't there's a you know there's been a lot happening this this week and with with protests and just 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 with rights um people are voicing um what what you know, should have been or voiced before or could have, you know, but it's coming out now. And I think we're going to see a lot of change. I think, you know, it's, um, it's, a it's a very, um, it's a serious, you know, subject matter. And I think we're gonna, it's just gonna, it's like, now's the time that that things are coming out. And I think that's, it's good that change is going to happen or is happening. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, and any time that there's, you know, problems of this magnitude, they need to be acknowledged and so that they can be worked on. And so the first step, you know, I was glad to see that that uh, that Bon Appetit acknowledged at least and is, is starting to, to do the work. So, you know, um, nobody's perfect, but like you got to start, you know, and you got to stay stay with it. Yeah, and and yes, Adam posted 
right away on Instagram um, a statement that he was going to reflect on the work. Um, what he's, I'll read his quote, reflect on the work that I need to do as a human being and to allow Bon Appetit to get to a better place. Um, I saw today also on Bon Appetit's Instagram, they had a whole statement that they made also that they're they're addressing this and they're, they have plans to change and work on it. Um, for Amanda Shapiro has been named the interim editor at Bon Appetit for the time, but I think there's going to be a a process for you know who's going to come in and and how they're going to make changes um, because they're you know a lot of this focused around their um, the videos that they do that apparently are extremely popular you know millions of people watch these videos that they have on their YouTube channel um, which uh, you know is 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 what we primarily talking about these not the the payment of people of color that not being right. compensated fairly on the videos. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. It's been, it's been, um, just kind of tracking all this stuff on Instagram and Twitter. It's been, it's been a lot. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a, a as I said, like not the ideal subject I want to be talking about, because I know I know these people, and as a PR person, you know, have relationships with with a lot of them. So I'm I'm just I'm hoping for the best, and I'm I'm glad that change is being being made. Yeah, I mean, anytime we see this, you know, it, like I said, it's like acknowledge and use it as an opportunity for growth, and never stop. Our work is never over on things of these matters, you know. And these past few weeks, that's just been driven home, you know. Like these communities have been working for decades, for hundreds of years even, in many cases, to right these wrongs. And we have to continue that work beyond this week, beyond next week, beyond next year, you know? So it's important. Yes, I agree completely. Okay, so um, I'm gonna do my solo dining takeout experience, share that with you guys. So this week it's at Donji. And here's the rundown. The location, 346 West 52nd Street, New York City. The concept, showcasing authentic Korean flavors using classic techniques. The chef and owner, Huni Kim. So why did I take out? Well, because I want to support a restaurant that I appreciate and I want to enjoy some really delicious Korean flavors that I don't typically cook at home. So my experience... Last Friday, I uh, went on their website and I saw they had two offerings. One was a meal for a family of four, or they had a solo meal. So I got the solo meal. I placed my order. I called them up. Um, they quoted me about 15 minutes, and then I, I took a walk over to 52nd Street. Um, I picked it up. I brought it back. It was a little cumbersome to carry. I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, it was excellent um, when I got home and was able to enjoy it. So what did I get? I had their Korean-style bento box called Do Si Rock. And it had bulgogi, spicy chicken wings, jap chai, a soup of the day, which was a miso-based soup with mushrooms. It had kimchi, banchan, and rice. And so it came, you know... It, my take is it was so beautifully presented and it was this bento box. It was probably about 12 by 12. It was pretty big. And so carrying it home, I had to carry it face up. Like they, they presented the, it in the bag to me where I couldn't like turn it over like you normally would turn over a bag and carry it by the handle. So I walked I walked home with this big bento box and it was so worth it because I got home and it was just beautiful. The the bento box had these different compartments in it with the little you know side dishes of pickled cucumber and greens and the chicken wings and anyways it was really delicious and um, I was so glad that that I got it. Uh, the ambiance, so at the restaurant, you know, they like all the restaurants right now in New York City that, that aren't open for dining in, they set up a table up front where you just picked up, someone greeted me at the front, I paid, picked up my to-go bag, and came home. Uh, I'd say it's perfect for anyone who appreciates flavorful and authentic Korean eats. Interesting tidbit, Huni is also the chef and owner of Hanjan in Chelsea, and they are offering a heat and serve Korean meal kit for delivery. And Huni also is the author of My Korea Cookbook. 
And personal fun fact, I'm, I've met him before and I've dined at Hanjan and Danji before in their restaurants and I'm just a big fan. So the cost of this meal, it was $25, not including tax and gratuity. I thought it was a really good value. And would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website is danjinyc.com. That's D-A-N-J-I-N-Y-C.com. And there, as I, on 52nd Street, that's this is in Hell's Kitchen uh, neighborhood. So anyone in New York that, you know, can walk over there and carry a bento box home or they deliver, I would, I would say do it. <laughs> Um, have you have you been there before, John? I have not, but I am obsessed with Korean food, so I will have to make a special trip there because that sounds friggin' delicious. Yeah, no, it's it's. Just, I'm glad of putting it on your radar because it is. It's a special restaurant. It's a small. It's a small restaurant. It must be. I would guess it's about thirty some odd seats. Um, but it's it's really it's really excellent. I'm glad they're in my neighborhood. Mm. Making me hungry, Sherry. Okay, well, yeah, and and then I'm thinking, well, what would you pair that all with? <laughs> <laughs> uh, curious number one for sure. Um, I had a feeling yeah. you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what they. Well, that's also what they serve at Coat, which so I know it goes well with Korean food. Cool, and that's that's a, a takeout delivery that I, I want to do. I've been reading about their what they're offering, and it sounds sounds wonderful. Oh, it's so good, yeah. But so I'm gonna have to go to. And what was the name of the place where you did did your it, takeout again? It's called Donji. Uh, Donji. N J I. Cool. I saw it on your Instagram, and I was like salivating. So. Yeah, my good. my post my a lot of people commented on my post that they want that. It was um it was uh it was um, it was it was good, you know, I post and it was nice to see that I, you know, hope hopefully I'm helping the restaurant and helping them, you know, gain more customers. So, uh I'm glad. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Eric Ajapong. He is the chef and owner of Pinch and Plate and On the Double, which is a new restaurant that he's planning to open in D.C.'s Union Market that specializes in uh, uh, the African diaspora, showcasing those flavors. And Eric was a finalist on Bravo's Top Chef Season 16, and he also has been on the season that's running now, um, an All-Stars Season 17. So um, Nice. John, what would you like to ask Eric? I'd like to ask Eric, what's the best way to inspire the youth of America to form a connection with their food and where it comes from? You know, because that's something that I think nothing can, you know, nothing can help more than that. Nothing can help more than, you know, youth getting in touch with the food that ultimately becomes them. You know, and I, I, I'm curious as that because he seems particularly well positioned to do that um, with, you know, the with a couple of restaurants and also a great media position. Um, so that's that's something that I I'm very curious about um, and how how we create that connection and, and help foster that in youth. It's a really great question, and I I have a feeling he's going to have a great answer. So <laughs> um, I look forward to asking him. And um, that's the show. I I really appreciate you joining me, and um, I'm so in awe of all of your success and everything you've done, and in particularly this uh, curious elixirs. The fact that you you had this idea and you just ran with it and created such an amazing company and beautiful, delicious non-alcoholic beverages. So um, congratulations, and thank you for for joining me. Thank you so much, Sherry, and thanks for the kind words. I. We have a long way to go, you know, in our mission to uh, to transform how we drink socially. But people like you are helping us make it happen. So thank you. You're welcome. I can't I can't wait to see what's number five, and then whatever comes after that. How many numbers you create, and and then to have the opportunity to to drink them, whether it's in my home or if it's um, out at a restaurant or bar. So, well, um, I- uh, will you will you be a taste tester for number five? You got it. <laughs> yes. I was I was yes. waiting for you to ask me that. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I need knowledgeable people to help with that. I'm, I'm literally going back into the kitchen after this to, to go work on another, on the next iteration, just trying to get some more smoky flavors to come across. So, Oh, I would be um, honored. What, that yeah. would be, yeah, that would be really cool. So sure, sure. Whatever I can Very do to cool. help. Thank you so much. Um, I, I look forward to, to getting your take on it. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Sherry. Take care. Thanks. I'm going to close wrap up now. So my guest today has been John Weissman. He is the founder of Curious Elixirs, non-alcoholic craft drinks. Their website is CuriousElixirs.com and on social media at John Weiss and at Curious Elixirs. On social media, I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My website's are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So tomorrow, um, I'm back on IG Live, Instagram Live at All Industry. This is June 11th at 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to be talking with... Maricel Salazar. She is a food, travel, and lifestyle writer. We're going to talk about what's happening with uh, freelance food media in the state of the industry and during uh, COVID-19. So you can tune in then. Again, that's three o'clock tomorrow at All Industry on Instagram. Uh, Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to John. I'm Sherry Bayer. Be safe, be well, and thank you all for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.